and welcome to another episode of Confessions of a Wee Timorous Bushi. This is your host, Menion, also known as Rob. In this episode, I'm going to give a report of my, my Osaka Adventurers group. That's my home group. Um, and tell you about our first face-to-face meeting for about 16 months. Uh, recently, we've been playing fifth edition, but we're going to move on to something else now. So that's that's first. That'll be up first. After that, I hope to discuss. Uh, well, I hope to not discuss. I hope to uh, respond to some of the call-ins that I've had. So, if any of those uh, are of interest to you, um, listen on. Uh, if not, well, you know, jump to the relevant part. Um, jump forward, jump backwards, fast forward, whatever you like, or just jump to the next episode. Okay, here we go. Hello, it's, so it's Monday, uh, the day after the end of the Olympics, I think. I've not really been paying too much attention to the specifics of that. And a typhoon is passing over Western Japan, and we're right on the edge of it, and the, the rain clouds are just swirling around overhead. It's a really large uh, typhoon, uh, cyclone, if you will. Um, so... You know, it's just relatively strong winds and uh, sporadic downpours of rain, downpourings of rain. And I didn't, uh, wasn't going to talk about the weather, but you know, that's uh, part and parcel of being brought up British. You talk about the weather. That's what's happened outside of the, uh, outside of my apartment. It is also a national holiday today, brought forward from Wednesday to Monday. I don't know, maybe the Olympic athletes and uh, volunteers needed some time to tidy up after the the, the tournament, uh, who knows. So, um, yesterday, yesterday we had our first face-to-face uh, session of uh, role-playing games for about 16 months or something like that. This, of course, is my home group, the Osaka Adventurers and uh th- well including myself four of us did i get that right four of us could meet um and one had just had his vaccination i'm not sure if it was the first or second one so he decided to stay home and we hooked up via via google meets and had a computer mounted just over the table and that worked really well. The microphone apparently picked up everything we were talking about. We could hear him pretty well as long as we weren't getting too excited. Um, and he had a bit of a view of the tabletop because we had a occasionally like sketching stuff out on a on a uh, dry board. I'm not sure we call them a marker board, you know, a battle map kind of thing, which we occasionally use. And it was really fun. We most of us. Um, pretty much all of us wore masks and uh, used sprays. The numbers of cases here in Japan are still relatively low um, internationally, but it's at a high point at the moment. So we're a little bit, some of us were a little bit concerned, but um, I, I don't know. Um, I think we took some enough precautions. And one of the reasons we decided to meet up really was because we had men's there's a bit of a wind blowing, Let's, let me get out of that. 
we had meant to uh, go around and have this game at a friend's place because he just bought a new house and that had been called off I don't know now months and months ago um, and it just seemed like well time to time to do that at least I'm not sure if we'll be going back to face-to-face games um, regularly um, I think we need to wait and see how things are shaping up. Um, but um, as for the game, so we have been playing 5th edition. No, where, where to start? Um, well, I've not been giving any reports, have I, for a while, so perhaps I'll just turn back the dial a bit and, or turn back the clocks. We originally... I'm going to go inside because of this wind. We originally had been playing 1st edition AD&D, um, some, I don't know, uh, two and a half years ago. That's when the group started. And we then switched over after about a year to Swords and Wizardry um, because I felt it was light. And also because, as I've mentioned before, I felt that it would dissuade people from uh, focusing on rules, arguments, and also comparing rules the rules of first edition uh, advanced dungeons and dragons in this case to the rules of later editions of uh, dungeons and dragons or to pathfinder which I, I don't really find really is that helpful so we played that and i think i think we all really enjoyed surprisingly i think everybody really enjoyed swords and wizardry um swords and wizardry uh, you might not know um you, you get it for most stats, you get a maximum of a plus one if you have a 13 or more on 3d6, you know, on a 3 to 18 scale. And a minus one uh, if you have seven or less. So, you know, the, the stats aren't really that, um, that uh, big. They really don't change. They're not game changers. And more important than anything uh, is uh, what you bring to the table. Um, plans that you have, the way that you approach things, maybe the magic that you amass or the the followers or specialists that you're able to persuade to help in your whatever cause that you have. And that, that's one of the benefits of, of uh, first edition is that it's it, it focuses on that lighter um, game less crunchy game and one where you can't you can't really game it <laughs> so that's not very helpful is it you can't really game it as easy as other systems you know um, and it also gets away from that granularity I mean there's not a huge amount of difference between Swords and Wizardry original D&D and first edition Advanced Dungeons and Dragons really but you do have those bigger hit points um, there's that there's that um push that that tendency to that drive to go for higher hit points for higher stats because um you know if you have an 18 dexterity that gives you a, a four point advantage on your armor class um, if you have a 18 and you're a fighter and you have 18 100 strength you have a plus three to hit and a plus six on damage rolls which 
means you'll basically kill any one hit die creature on a single hit probably kill most two hit die creatures so so you know that power creep starts really uh, very heavily in first edition maybe uh, later later stage uh, original D&D when those things became a thing <laughs> when those things when those um, advantages for having higher stats became more pertinent there you go um, so yes we had moved on to Swords and Wizardry and then you know um, we'd been playing for two years we'd been playing this same Greyhawk campaign really stuck in the Temple of Elemental Evil and I was not really enjoying it so we took some time out um, and in our case we in this case we got Lyle uh, who's one of the members of our group and he volunteered to run a game of let's see now he, he ran um, third edition third edition Dungeons and Dragons or 3.5 uh, actually I probably did a game of Star Wars uh, let's see now yeah I think I did a West End Games game of Star Wars probably just for one shot and I, we also played some board games but yeah so he, he did I can't remember if it was three or four sessions of that and that was really good and it gave us um, yet another frame and yet another frame of reference it gave us a little bit more structure um, to to how we perceive D and D, I guess, uh, and how we approach the rules, um, it sort of, yeah, put things in, enhanced our frame of reference, if you like. I'll come back to that maybe, um, because after that, we we decided to play try out fifth edition, and as I've mentioned before, one of the reasons for this was that I did have this pushback. Uh, against D and D, um, after my initial experiences with Fifth uh, Edition, and also, you know, I kind of, I really didn't enjoy skills in First and Second Edition. Um, for those who don't know the skill, it didn't have the skills as you know them today. They had what are called non non weapon proficiency skills, which is just a mouthful, but yeah. Um, not non military non uh, militant um combative skills so things but mostly ones that were adventure oriented or orientated oriented so things like horse riding foraging um uh, blind fighting um there were other skills more more um, professional based skills such as blacksmithing or carpentry but for the most part, they were things that were focused on the adventure. And this, of course, changed very much. Well, did it, or did it? Hmm. That's, that's not helpful, is it? Uh, it changed anyway, that's for certain, with three, third edition and 3.5, and then again in fifth edition, slimmed down. Um, I guess there were many, many skills in third edition and a lot of the skills that didn't really exist in second edition, perception-based skills. Um, 
skills that were allowed you to gather information. Um, arcane lore. I may have got these names wrong, but uh, spellcraft. Um, no, arcane. No, it would be arcane lore. Spellcraft is a second edition thing, which is not quite as expansive. Things like history. These things that give you a little, um, give you more insight into what's happening in the game, and mean also that it's not as necessary for you to engage with NPCs you know, historians, uh, alchemists, and so on. Because once you get to third edition, you're able to do these, characters are able to get these skills themselves, they're able to create potions uh, more regularly by picking up the required feats, by having the required skills. All right, you get the point, hopefully. Um, but, um, so, yeah, we, we I have, you know, I just had this bit of a kickback against skills and the complexity of later editions. And so I decided, I volunteered, I guess, to, to run Horde of the Dragon Queen. And we did the first uh, three episodes of that. Yeah, they're called episodes. That's not freaky. That's freaky for me. Everything's so cinematic, so television-based, um, which is uh, not necessarily a bad thing if it helps people visualise thing uh visualize what's going on i guess but yeah so um these three episodes maybe some people could have done one session per episode in our case i think it took us uh, on average yeah about three sessions per episode maybe two two three sessions per episode so we've played uh six eight roughly eight or nine sessions of fifth edition and the we haven't finished the first book we've got about halfway through not quite halfway through the 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 hordes of the horde of the dragon queen um and it seems seems like a good point to stop it i mean we got into this third episode where you go into the you go into caves you know spoiler alert you go into caves you have some serious fights um the online community warned me that um, the adventures weren't really as balanced they weren't balanced and balanced obviously is a big thing now um, and that some of these fights you could easily uh, players could we could have a TPK quite easily or you could kill off players I didn't me being me I, wa- I wanted to see what 5th edition does how dangerous it is or isn't and I also wanted to see what this game is like without being tampered with so I did not uh, re- remove uh, opponents uh, and I just let them tackle it in the way that they wanted to and um, if things went south um, and the enemy were alerted or um, taken on head, head on I, I, I would, yeah, I would pretty much hit them with everything I had available um, within reason uh, in a local area not really pulling my punches because um, I just don't think that's d and that's <laughs> not my sort of D&D that's, that's more to the point um, I think sometimes you've got to be give people the benefit of the doubt you roll the dice and you, they're lucky and nobody's alerted and other times you yeah everything hits the fan and uh 
they've got to be prepared for the consequences which may be death or maybe imprisonment and then they have other problems to overcome like you know escapes and we've had that we've had that in first edition and it can become really um, i think it can be really exciting i think the setbacks are fascinating and exciting and i don't think uh the players should always win sometimes i think they should lose and i think that losing is what creates uh, an interesting story. It creates fascinating tensions and, and problems that suddenly the game isn't about binaries. It's not about you'll die or you'll win. Sometimes um, you know, in games where they don't die on zero points, for example, perhaps games that do, um, the, the stakes are that they're, yeah, they're knocked down. Um, you can have the enemies you do subduel on players some might get killed and instead of, when when there's only a few standing instead of having a tpk you you up front you say right there they're trying the enemy, monsters are trying to subdue you they're not doing full lethal damage or they're trying to grapple you to the ground and you go with that instead and then you have these other interesting situations that could be more just might be better and they allow for the possibility of continuing the story on even after some players are killed characters are killed not players we don't kill players sorry got to be careful with that some characters are are killed um yeah and uh, in yesterday's we arrived at this point where they um, had some you know, really hard fights and they had ended up pretty much going straight to the enemy and not only facing one of the bosses, but two of the bosses together, um, head on. Uh, and they, so, yeah, and they had some fairly stiff, not really, you can't really call them minions, because they had higher hit point two, two berserkers, and berserkers in 5th edition, although they don't didn't necessarily deal out a huge amount of damage, they don't have multiple attacks, they have very, um, don't, not so good armor classes but they have huge hit points i think it's like 69 or 59 hit points each so they take some some beating they they ended up um out of a party of five three of them were on the ground uh, making death saves to survive and only two even after using their abilities their second wins their healing abilities one of them was a druid one was a fighter they were still really, really low on hit points. You know, they were doing everything they could, par using parrying and other things to, to mitigate damage. But um, it was very hard. But um, let's see. Yeah, the the druid ultimate. No, sorry. The so who was knocked down? Maybe the druid was down. The fighter was still up. Or the fighter was down. The druid was still up. The rogue was um, using his um, ability to. Um, hide as a as a bonus action, I guess it is. After doing uh, attacks, he's hiding, slipping behind some of these columns or into the shadows, and then popping out and doing a a sneak attack. And um, that seems to be fair enough by the rules. And he he did that, and um, he yeah he managed to slay the second. 
the other leader, the first one already being having been taken down. And after that, the two berserkers who were on very low hit points decided that enough was enough. Um, they were uh, decided to uh, fall back. Their leaders slain. Uh, I didn't want them. I don't see any point where a berserker has to fight to the death. It's a round by round, turn by turn, a decision whether they whether they um, fight all out and drop their defenses or not. They're not in a uh, uh, an unthinking battle rage. So yeah, I had them pull out and uh, withdraw from the from the caverns and the party um, stabilized the their comrades um, examined the immediate vicinity and they also pulled out and, and had a, a hid in some sh- bushes and stuff and had a short rest before returning short rest is a, a one hour rest um, they had used some of their good berries from the druid and were in a slightly better situ- condition um, on a couple of hit points they used some of their hit dice which they get to sort of return res- return some of their hit points and they were able to go back in went into the last it wasn't the last room actually but it was it was the last key room really key room so they explored that um, by acting very cautiously and carefully they were able to ambush a group of kobolds that were waiting with glue bombs and, and fire bombs to attack them at, when at a weak point neutralized them got some information out of one of the survivors um, there was a possibility that there was some some kind of uh, fervor uh, horror lingering down in a lower part of this big cavern that they were in, but they managed to avoid it and and pick up uh, some items of interest. I'm not going to say what they were because I don't want to spoil things. Uh, but and they got all of the items of interest actually. Um, and they avoided the other horror uh, through their partly through their actions, partly through their caution, partly through the information that they gained from keeping one of the kobolds alive and letting him uh, run away. So you know it's these risks and rewards, uh, and above all, um, player decisions and the idea that not everything goes down to combat. Not everything is about killing. You don't reward necessarily for killing everything. So trying to stick with these basic kind of loose principles uh, throughout whatever game I'm playing, whatever fantasy role-playing game I'm playing, uh, and trying to have that, to stop the game sliding into the hack and slash of old days that was often the problem. Um, not always, not not in the first games that I used to run back in the old, the first D&D club I was in. But certainly, certainly in the later games, um, it would be a problem sometimes. Um, so that's it. Um, and we decided, we'd kind of pre- already decided that whether they, there's a TPK or there's a lot of deaths or whether they're successful, whatever might happen, that we would take a bit of a rest, have a bit of a rest from 5th edition at this point. And move on to something else and now that something else is probably going to be a couple of sessions uh, a single adventure or two adventures 
of Call of Cthulhu, which I've never played before. Now, um, what do I think of 5th edition? Uh, it's hard to say. It's hard to say uh, without slipping into comparisons. Uh, but I think I've come to the decision that the comparisons are harmful. Um, yeah, they're, they're not useful because it's... Although they appear to be comparing something that is similar, they are actually very different things. So 5th edition or 1st edition are very different things. Um, so one thing I really enjoyed about the game was that the players were really engaged with their characters. They had a strong sense of individuality. Um, they had a strong sense of uh, these characters having background. Uh, that they... Hmm. Uh, and they seemed to enjoy playing their characters. They knew who the character was. They had some kind of background. They had some kind of stake in the world. They had come from somewhere. They were going somewhere. And they sort of steered into their characters. Um, you know, we had some questions about how does alignment affect your choices in the game? Uh, how important is it to to play closely to alignment or some kind of expectations that are built around the game? But I don't know. I think after the initial like the first session, I think, the second session perhaps, where there was this poss possibility of an issue arising over that. I think we managed to sort of make a compromise and, and, and say we're, it's not as important as all that, in, in, at least in 5th edition, uh, at least with your classes as they are. We'll, we'll handle it more fluidly. Um, the characters certainly have much more abilities they have much more ability to move smoothly between different classes even if they're a rogue for example the rogue at third level chose second level third level chose to be an arcane trickster so he then received spells right the the ability of the wizard to cast a he had an owl familiar so he had this familiar with its night sight, flying around, moving stealthily, perceiving things that in some ways uh, encroached upon the rogue's abilities. The rogue uh, was sneaking around, but they also had this ability to drift in and out of the fight. And when they were hitting, they were doing an extra 2d6 damage. And then if at one point yesterday, um, at the end of the fight, the rogue did a critical now, a critical in 5th edition D&D means he was doing, I don't know what his weapon was, but say it was a D8 dice, double the dice, so he got 2D8 for the weapon, plus, uh, well, 4D6 for that stealth attack. That's a huge amount of damage. I think he did like 35 points of damage. So they're able to um, do much more. Each character is able to sort of cover more ground. They're able to do a little bit of healing. They're able to get some hit points back. They're able to do stealth. They're able to uh, do various things that uh, pre in previous editions were the forte of a single character class, usually. 
and that was fun yeah I think that was fun um, and they enjoyed being able to hit hard but also and also be able to have a little bit more capacity to push forward a bit further rather than in early editions where you've got to fall back you've got to rest a day at least you don't there's no short rests there's a day or sometimes a week to to get over um, recover from injuries and to get your spells back and to do preparation and things so uh, in that sense yeah it was exciting to do that um and the important thing for me i suppose was not to be too much of a hun is that is that pc these days it's probably not it is not to be too much of a um I'm trying to think of a word it's not rude not to be too much of a stickler <laughs> for tradition and details and to let them uh let them enjoy the game. Let everybody, myself included, just enjoy the game and um, play it as it's played in this edition, this fifth edition. And enjoy the, the D&D tropes that are still in there, but enjoy the, some of the, the differences and the new things that you could do with the rules. All right? Oh, cool, right? Cool and dandy. So, that, so yeah, I've done that. Uh, there's things, you know, just, I guess, you know, they can, it's hard to judge. My only real valid, I think, um, complaint, and it's not really a full complaint, it's more an indication of the level, our level of rules mastery, is that it's, it's harsh to judge what the NPCs can do. It's hard to judge what the players can do. So it was important to let the players make their own decisions. Yeah, uh, important to make, let them, rather, this is probably better, to to keep it have an understanding of their abilities. Let the players manage their side of the game while I manage my side as a, a GM, as a, a DM or a referee, if you like, of the game. And that's as best as I could do because I, don't, I just don't have that deep knowledge of 5th edition to, to, to know what every player can do and to sort of say, well, hang on, are you sure it does that? And occasionally I would say that, I just say, are you certain it does that? If it seemed a little bit too broad, a little bit too, uh, the, the, the abilities were too all-encompassing or powerful. Um, yeah, because, I mean, for me, I'm trying to keep hold of the monsters and know what these abilities are. Multi-attack is clear enough, but what about the pack attack or what about this or that? Um what do the spell what spells do they have what do the spells do they're very different now um spiritual weapon for example is a continuation of spiritual hammer uh, but it operates so differently uh, find familiar so different from the original game so you we all um i think had to cooperate as a group trying to keep a tab on our own side of the screen <laughs> or you know our own end of the table if you prefer edge of the table um, and that was a good experience I think as well because it meant that we all had to think about the game we all had to sort of have a level of trust in each other um, so yeah nice that's nice I think we could come back to the game 
Um, I think we can come back to the third edition, Lyle's third edition game at any point. I think we can come back to this fifth edition game at any point. Um, next, as I said, we're going to explore Call of Cthulhu for a few sessions, just as a real change of pace. Um, there's a few reasons for that, beyond change of pace. I want to explore a very simple version of the basic role-playing system. So the D percentile system. I want to do something that's a, it's very different from, you know, fancy role-play. So we will be playing in 1920s, a kind of pseudo-1920s world. So we'll have, you know, his, there'll be these historical things, uh, uh, the technology of those times, the expectations, the law, the uh, politics of that time, of that day. Um, meets Lovecraft, so the Cthulhu element, the this the weird tales, uh, and yeah, we'll see how they operate when they just can't kill things <laughs> to overcome so the, the solution isn't just kill everything or isn't necessarily blow it up although that might be on the table um, rather they'll be asking questions interacting so we'll do something different change of pace um, a little bit of horror a little bit of role play a little bit of uh, atmosphere and focusing on on the detail and that's not 100 miles away from my my um, approach to D&D, which is all very much about descriptions, early D&D, uh, asking questions, getting information, uh, testing the water, um, edging around things, uh, tapping on walls. Uh, it's very much about getting information from the GM. So that's something we're going to do. Um, there's also a strong possibility of going back to first editions, uh, advanced Dungeons and Dragons for our Greyhawk campaign and uh, reviving those characters at least for one adventure we're going to do oh my goodness um, we're going to do A1 which is uh, the trouble troublesome um, potentially um, problematic name of was it uh, something of the slave slave pits of the Undercity, there you go, I remember. Slave Pits of the Undercity, A1. It's one of the slavers' adventures. Obviously, slavery, should you have slavery in a campaign, etc., etc., is a, it's a problem today. I asked the, the players what kind of, what would they like to do next, what kind of adventure. Didn't necessarily put a name on the adventure, finally. Um, but they all voted for this uh, bringing the fight to the slavers. They, they've already known of these slavers operating while they were in the Temple of Elemental Evil. And they all um, voted to that they wanted to go and find out about that threat um, to the wild coast and other lands around the, uh, I think it's called the Gyanet Sea. Yeah, and they they're gonna go out and uh, you know kick some. That's that's one of the, so it's gonna be a very simple adventure. Um, I'll be running it in its original format. So I've actually ordered it the original module, which I'm really looking forward to having this module with its uh, a detachable uh, cover with the the 
gatefold map. Um, it's what well, it's probably about twenty two pages, something something like that. If that, probably less of the adventure is probably nineteen pages. You know, once you take out all of the um, the uh, monsters and other materials in the appendices. Um, and uh, I'm probably gonna do a real quick kind of. I'm gonna start with them around waiting outside the walls. They've they've been uh, hired or recruited to do something, and they're outside the walls. And then we'll flash back and find out what happened at the end of um, Temple Temple of Elemental Evil, which we didn't technically for complete, but we all agreed on moving away from. I mean, they, they managed to get the golden orb um, and they, they had uh, certainly, um, they'd killed, I don't know, the water priest. Um, actually, I think they, they didn't kill him. They, they captured him and they killed, his, killed the followers. They basically destroyed the water temple. Um, and um, yeah, so I'm going to cover what happens next. Uh, maybe I'll do something like that later. I'll tell you about that. Uh, and then explain why they left, had to leave the area and leave all their belongings and, and friends and, and moving to the wild coast. Uh, we've already agreed on this, these elements. So, you know, there's a, a danger, there's assassins' contracts are on them. Um, they've, you know, they've also become involved in certain powers in the, in the areas. So there's, there's a reason why they need to sort of make themselves scarce in the homelet area, the Temple of Elemental Evil area. And, you know, so we're going to just play that adventure. And that, that's something I hope we'll do continuously. I don't know if we'll do the other adventures in the, in the series. I don't want us to make that a certainty because I want what I want to do... I want to get back to the. We're going to do this adventure, or I've got this adventure, and it'll maybe last so many sessions. You know, it's going to last. Any anything we do is going to run two sessions to maybe six, seven, eight sessions. Little mini mini things, mini uh, campaigns, and then we'll finish. And then we we'll said, we're, we're going to have meetings and say, what do you want to do? Uh, if everybody wants to continue with um, Greyhawk, we'll continue with Greyhawk. In that case, what do you want to do? There's uh, different stories we can move on through there. We can continue moving down into the Pomarge and follow up with the slavers. Or perhaps you're interested in some uh, um, a contract that you've received from an, a noble lord who wants you to explore such and such a place. or So... I want to have it more freeform, at least in the sense that there may be structures, but they're only in place for a certain number of sessions. And after that, they're free to go where they will. Uh, because I think these really, really long mega campaigns are exhausting. <laughs> As a GM, at the least, they're, they're really exhausting. Um, because you feel like you're always trying to reach that next episode. You're trying to re complete that next book or next module or whatever it might be. I want to get away from that. So hopefully we will. Uh, that's uh, everything I've got to report on that front.
Okay, so I'm sitting on a few call-ins. Um, some of them I've just not been able to put into an episode or I've not been able to piece together a decent episode myself that would really do them justice. But um, the most recent call-ins have been in response to the the the, the topic of rule zero and uh, rulings over rules. And, and um, yeah, some people had some things to to say about that I, i'm not sure if i yeah if if by sort of waving a white flag that was necessarily the best thing to do and i don't think that was exactly what i was doing either i was just sort of um trying to create a bit of space and, and step back from the issue uh, at a moment where you could see some of us were becoming a little bit more i don't know um a little bit more uh vocal or a little bit more aggressive if that's the right word in our in trying to frame our arguments and our views so let's see what we've got first hey rob spencer here just been listening to your latest episode and your thoughts regarding the rule zero conversation um how that's kind of uh well that's been featured on a couple of different podcasts and uh, and it also came up in the Audio Dungeon Discord. Now, I'm sure I'm not alone here when I read comments on the Audio Dungeon Discord because the vast majority of people there have their own podcasts that I listen to. I do feel that I, I know those people to a certain extent. And when I read their words... I am thinking of their intent and thinking about their relationship with the people they're speaking to and uh, which kind of, um, I know, you know, the choice of words is important, but regardless of the odd poorly chosen word, um, I do feel that these are friends in conversation and I know things get a little bit passionate. And I guess I what I have to bear in mind is the fact that I I don't really feel that... Um, none of this stuff is being directed towards me. I found the comments on both sides to be interesting and enlightening. I've really been enjoying the conversation. But yeah, I, I, I don't feel that I'm on either side of this um, argument. Uh, so I guess I, I should bear that in mind when I think of how people feel when they read other people's comments. But um, I don't know. I, I just... I'm, I, uh, I'm not saying it isn't important to be careful uh, about the words we choose in, in such conversations, but um, I certainly find it helpful to assume that people have the best of intentions they're trying to convey ideas and not intentionally attacking each other um i don't know i'm not sure if i'm i'm adding anything to this conversation (laughs) it's just something that's rattling around in my head but um yeah i certainly um appreciate your episode and um i was quite interested in that conversation but as i say not having a 
horse in that race um, probably makes it a little easier for me to be objective about it. Anyway, cheers. Bye. Hey, so that was three for all, Spencer, of Keep Off the Borderlands. I hope I got that right. <laughs> it's been a while. So uh, thank you so much, Spencer, for calling in. And I agree. I, I can hear it in your voice. There's a certain frustration that we can't just talk. At least that's how I understand how, how, I, how your message felt to me. Um, that we can't just sort of talk about these things in a sort of uh, dispassionate way and appreciate the fact that, yeah, we, to an extent, we do all know each other. And um, at least the people who were involved in this discussion on the audio discord, audio dungeon rather, and uh, among the you know, anchor uh, podcast community that we maintain. Um, is that a community? Going back to the community problem, aren't we? Uh, but um, not not to push that. I mean, you know, there is a, you know, there is a informal community uh, that we're all involved in. Um, however much we really interact with each other is another matter. But but uh, yeah, that, that, I mean, I was very frustrated, starting to feel frustrated, and I think the problem for me, I don't know if I can put this into words, which are at once sort of. Um, explicative is that a proper word help to explain the situation and also um, don't do further damage or or, or, or cause other misunderstandings but I, I had a, a brief exchange with um, clerics where ringmail is that is that one of the robs too oh god I can't ring I can't think sorry sorry clerics where ringmail I do know the name it's just not popping out Rob C is obviously down in a heap but no me, me and clerics where ringmail had a little discussion about this and uh, to me it's like as a as a poor simile it's like um, if we decide to discuss theology uh, and um, specifically, we want to discuss the theology of uh, the Catholic Church, and I and some other members that are interested in that topic, either because we're Catholics or we're, you know, uh, theologists. Um, we discuss this matter, and then we have other ma- members of uh, other churches or other faiths, or perhaps atheists that also come in, and they bring in different arguments. I'm using argument not to mean like a, in the combative sense, but in the sense that they they are coming at the matter from such different positions that it's impossible to have a, a meaningful discussion of the topic that we want to focus on. In this case, um, rule zero or rulings over rules, because the other uh, camps will be bringing in. Uh, positions that that uh, well, in the case of say an atheist would be to completely discount the core um, the foundations on which that that belief system would be built now obviously we're not talking about uh, religions or are we <laughs> we're talking about uh, systems and, and styles of gaming and so on but I think there are there are points where hmm, the styles can be so different uh, and the camps can be so at odds 
that although, yeah, we can meet in common, discuss certain matters, there is, when you're talking about uh, democratizing games or um, you're talking about certain types of styles of gaming being harmful, then we're we're also moving into this space where we have to define what is harmful, what kind of... um, how uh, how controlling of gaming, how controlling of society, and how much does gaming reflect society? Um, then, if we we the, we we the arguments become so conflated, um, and we're no longer arguing for, we're no longer discussing and defining what rule zero is. We are arguing for the existence or of <laughs> rule zero. Is there even such a thing as rule zero? And that's what Arlen was doing in a sense. He was trying to he was trying to take um, a non-rule and say where is it codified? Now, rule zero is not a, not codified. That's the point. Rule zero is a it is does appear in certain systems for example it, it's the it's it's a new term it doesn't exist back then and we're kind of like using it retroactively but but it it stems from certain a certain ethos or a certain uh, approach in gaming that yes you can find it in um free creek spiel you know back in the 19th century is it you can find in uh, original Dungeons and Dragons or um, BX there's certain things in there which say if a rule if ultimately as a group uh, you decide a rule is not sufficient for your needs then go ahead and change it it's your game that's not a rule that's a reminder um of the obvious it's not maybe it's not obvious because i mean games to at that point if you're going back to old D, original dnd at that point we're talking about things like scrabble monopoly and while there may have there may be uh, home home rules and so on uh, generally speaking people play games they play sports by the letter of the rule and this it was a reminder um, that the role-playing game is a very free-form system and only certain areas really need to be codified or only can be codified in a given rule system but that you can expand upon that that you can change those rules according to your needs uh, it is not a codified rule and it does not need to be defended uh, and that is my strong belief Rule zero is not a rule. It's really important. It's a badly, badly named uh, modern uh, concept when you're talking about rule zero. But the actual thing that that word represents has a history and is not a rule and it is useful, uh, a useful reminder that we we can continue to uh, develop the game without respite to games companies 
to organizations or anything else that it really comes down to the needs of your group and the needs of your players excuse me for the wind there um so yeah it was frustrating um i'm not sure if that's a helpful simile when i uh, use religion as an example it's not it's a, perhaps an exaggeration but i think the point stands that certain types of gaming will will say no uh, the the importance the need this is if this is a role play if you're really playing a role playing game then the rules one person a might say don't, don't matter another person might say the role playing game is all about uh, social interaction why are there no social interaction rules etc 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 and it can go on forever and ever um, because it's always possible to develop new groups, new ideas, and for those rules and for those ideas to then break away from each other and to become even more um, defined, even more um, separate entities, if you like, um, and and the rules to be even become even more complicated. And I, I'm I'm pushing against that. I'm pushing away from that. I don't think. Um, it's really that useful when if i'm talking about rule zero i'm going to talk to people i want to talk to people who are interested in rule zero uh, if i'm talking about rulings over rules i'm going to talk to people who use rulings over rules and understand it i'm not really um, on a mission to define those things or to explain them beyond the the extent that have already been explained in you know the existing um conversations about this that have been taking place for the past in some cases 40 50 years uh, or more um, and in more recent history maybe you know the past at least 10 15 years so i know that's not a very helpful uh, stance and i know it's frustrating that we can't uh, talk more clearly i, I will i will give, get involved with people who do want to talk about rulings over rules rule zero etc etc but i'm not going to go out of my way to have this sort of this big you know meeting of the minds where we've got to define what is role-playing games and you know is rule zero really a something we should, that's healthy or that should be in part of the role-playing experience i mean that's really unnecessary i, I don't need to have this big uh, kind of like convocation of all role-playing games where we decide what should be included under role-playing games or not. Uh, I'm not interested in that. I'll, I'll do that by myself and with my group. Uh, and with those that, that are interested in those topics that I specifically need to address for my group and for the, the interest of my uh, ongoing enjoyment of my game. But anyway, sorry. <laughs> Thank you, Spencer. <laughs> I, don't know. It's, uh, I don't know if that's helpful. But uh, I do really appreciate you calling in. And I, I feel the frustration, even though the source of frustration in any case may be different from person to person. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that's, that's my current stance on that. Hey, Rob, Jason here. Great episode. You ask for um, some, some great background sounds there. <laughs> I'm not picking on you. I, I, I enjoy your episodes. I, I also enjoyed your, your and not in a making fun of you way, but your, your honest reaction when you realize you're out without your mask, right? Like, oh, crap, I messed up. I, I, I've done that before. 
you know, go, gone out without, <laughs> oh crap, I need to grab this. I, in fact, I keep a, you, you know, I keep a, a couple, I've got like five masks, you know, I keep one in the glove box of the car. I, you know, when I'm at work, I have one in my pocket. Well, I'm usually, I'm wearing it at work, but you know, I'll, I'll like have one in my pocket. I'll have an extra one in my backpack. I have one in the lunchbox. You, you know what I mean? I've got a bunch of masks all over. So I, I, so, so I definitely can, you know, um, relate to that. This is, of course, Jason of Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Uh, thank you for the call in, Jason. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I mess up all the time, so I've just to get over to get over. I've just got to the point where I I admit my my stupidity um, and try to rectify things. <laughs> it's the best I can do in life, you know. Um, now, from this point, um, Jason uh, then kindly sent in a lot of. Um, uh, a bunch of call-ins regarding again uh, this the rule zero debate and um, let's see what he has to say i think i need to listen to your podcast again before giving you a, a better answer yes for thoughts on that episode at the end and you know the thing i find very interesting isn't the the rule zero discussion is interesting but and the interesting part of the rule zero is and, and I've talked with Ar and this and when we've talked with Arlen and I that so ultimately it's it's not so much yeah you know, in a lot of these games and and the sad thing is it near the end of this Arlen was working to compile the wording of rule zero in all the RPGs he had and then of course that stopped happening when this went off the rails but you know a lot of these games do not word it well and new GMs aren't given a lot of guidance on how to properly employ Rule Zero. And I think, you know, Idiot's Guide to Rule Zero or, a, you know, Newcomer's Guide to Rule Zero would be a very handy thing. Because in the end, you know, the complaint isn't house rules and it's not rules made before the session and that everybody knows before the session. The, the worry is on-the-spot corrections and on-the-spot rulings made during the game and there are two categories that most of the time it's not an issue. It's a, no issues at all. But there are two times it's problematic. One time is when you have a GM that uses it abusively to advance their own agenda. They want to give plot armor to an NPC they like. So they all of a sudden use rule zero to make it so a player can't hurt them or something like that, right? And or, or to, you know, But anyway, abusive use by the GM is one bad part. And then the other bad part is when you have a new GM who just does, or an inexperienced GM that doesn't know how to properly do it. We need the idiot's guide to rule zero or the, you know, a guide, a booklet on how to properly lose rule zero, a rule zero primer, right? Arlen was going through and, and checking the, the actual wording of rule zero in all the games he had. And a lot of them word it really horribly. You know, they're just not good and they don't, a new GM, it's, there's no advice in there on how to properly employ that. So I think that's a big part of it too. Uh, for, for those of us who have been playing for years, you know, it's not a problem. Well, it's like the safety thing, right? So in the end, the issue wasn't that Rob C's group, you know, over down the heap. The problem isn't that his group doesn't have safety rules. They do. They don't use the X card. They don't use the safety rules everybody thinks of, but they've been playing together for decades. They have their own rule. They have their own way of dealing with things when it comes up in the group. I'm sure. I'm sure if one of the players says, "Hey, 
can we talk about this for a second? I bet you that group would stop and they'd talk about it, right? So they have safety rules. So it's not, you know, it's not saying they don't have safety rules. And and, and that's kind of all Arlen, I think, was trying to say was the idea that, you know, it, it you, you need some way to discuss things if something happens. And groups have been playing for a long time. All these people, older folks like us, that say, oh, we don't need the X card. Well, no, we don't because we already have ways to deal with this stuff. But groups that don't have that level of trust amongst each other to be able to discuss it, these safety tools can be helpful for them. And that's kind of what Arnold was trying to get to. Um, and I think if we had done a panel discussion instead of calling back and forth, that would have come out a lot better. But the most interesting thing to me of all this, aside from the fact a rule zero primer would be a really cool thing to have, is the way we process communication. So I think I sort of preempted some of these uh, points that Jason raises here in the, the previous response um, to free for all Spencer. Uh, you know, personally, I, 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 it's not my uh, mission to to devise or codify Rule Zero for the reasons already stated. Um, there may be a reason. I mean, there are, there are. You know, OSI, our OSR primers, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and if they do not, if this body of work, which already exists, uh, in the form of these primers, in the form of YouTube videos and podcasts and blogs, is already not enough to explain that style of playing in a way that uh, people will f feel is uh, helpful for new gamers or for experienced gamers. And and one that uh, maintains this safe, uh, happy environment, uh, healthy environment. Um, then I, I really don't know what will. I, I don't think that it needs to be codified, and I um, I staunchly <laughs> I staunchly believe in that. Um, um, I have reasons for this, but I'm not going to go into them now. But I, yes, I, I think there are limitations on how much you can govern people with rules. I think there's certain things that you need to have rules for, uh, for how, in order to, to, for groups of people to work together. But there a, comes a point where people have to understand um, and learn for themselves the basic principles, the common sense, to uh, interact and to do whatever it is they're doing, whether it be games, uh, driving the car, walking down the street, the, the common sense that stops us from uh, doing harm to others. Uh, let's listen to the next message. So we don't want to focus on the fact that, you, you know, when Arlen used the word, it's unhealthy not to have safety tools. I don't want to focus on that, like Arlen's being a, a bully or something, because that's not the case. It's definitely not. And, and, and I think, to be fair, it, it, in a game where a player doesn't feel they can voice their opinion, is that unhealthy? Yeah, I would say it is. But, but my point is, the word unhealthy is, is what I want to get to, because when Arlen made that statement about safety tools and, and healthy, unhealthy, people... In, in social media, you'd say they got triggered, right? But people have a visceral reaction to that word. And why is that, right? 
And, and if he had used a different word, that visceral reaction wouldn't have happened. And that's, honestly, that's not as much Arlen as it is how we process that hearing that word, right? Because that communication is a you know, two-way street. So I think that processing of that is, is kind of the interesting part to me. And I think the problem is when, you know, without standing back and taking a step back, I mean, you're, you know, when you hear that, you're thinking, well, he's saying I'm wrong. He's saying that we're unhealthy. He's saying we're bad people. We're not bad people. I know I'm not a bad person and our hackles get raised. Right. But, but really that wasn't his intent. And, and it's the way we process those words. And so maybe the question is how can we better prepare ourselves to process terms? So if we know certain terms are going to cause those visceral reactions, how can we better prepare ourselves as listeners to not let those visceral terms bring that reaction out of us? How can we be more stoic to not get those, let people get those rises out of us, whether Arlen did it intentionally or unintentionally, right? And, and my belief is it was unintentional. But, you know, how do we as a listener protect ourselves from having our hackles? Hackles raised, I think is what I was saying when I got cut off. So, you know, and I don't know that we can. As humans, the way we process things, I don't know that we can sit there and listen to everything, you know, as a, like, like Mr. Spock and not have an emotional reaction to it, right? But if we could do that, think of all the problems we would solve. I'm not, I'm not saying we shouldn't have emotion, but if we could listen to what other people say and not have that emotional, immediate emotional response to it, you, you know, I, I mean, it would, I guess it would gut Twitter if people couldn't, re, you know, get angry at each other right away. But uh, that wouldn't be a bad thing in my opinion. <laughs> but yeah, the, I find that part, the interesting part, the way, how we react, we, we get these reactions to, to these things when really there's no reason to, to get up on arms about it. Okay, right. how do I say this, Jason? Um, <laughs> well, I think I think you have a point. Yes, we we do need to be less um, reactive to certain words. We got there, there is a an onus on the listener or the reader or whoever it might be to to read something for what it is, right? To process the information uh, and not get too emotionally involved and get from what get from it uh, what one can and you know just ignore the things that are of little value or which you perhaps completely disagree with that's certainly a thing and i i think i i can see the the sense in that and yeah i'm very happy to happy is not the right word maybe but i i you know i, I believe you know arlen uh, wasn't doing this necessarily to be combative although i do think he was enjoying the uh, intellectual sparring of taking an opposite view uh, and to, uh, challenging people to defend their own view um, and personally you know I, i'm not really interested in that I, i've done it i've done it for years past few years and and in the political climate political climate that things the world has been in for at least the past 10, 11 years, uh, I'm quite sick of it, to be honest. Um, 
I mean, I have an education. I don't really need. I'm of an age where I really just don't need to prove myself anymore to anybody. Um, that sounds really arrogant. Um, and I, by contrast, I'm not expecting other people to prove, uh, you know, their own um, reasons for believing whatever nonsense they choose to believe in. Um, now, I'm not saying that what uh, Arlen. Alan's points are nonsense. I think he has very good views and ideas on on gaming, but I don't think they're um, relative to the experience. Relative? I don't think they are important to the experience of one that is actually going to use Rule Zero. So again, I, I don't think you... I think there are already primers for old-school play. And the point of rule zero is that it's not a rule. It is not a rule and it's about free discussion. It's about uh, democracy. It's about uh, the group coming together and agreeing to play in a certain style or not agreeing to play in a certain style and trying to find a common ground. Now, the individual um, nature of any group will vary very so much that it's really worthless here discussing it and that to a certain extent um i think bandits keep uh, daniel of bandits keep recently discussed this on a youtube video with uh, a guy called todd i forget his second name um and so we're getting into such generalities that it's not worth dealing with them. And I think this is what they are. They are generalities. There's, of course, there are people, there are GMs who are going to abuse their power. Um, big generality. I mean, and you can find cases of this happening. These people generally um, come out of it the worst. They end up being banned from the conventions they're involved in, etc., etc. Um, and I would say, as a as a further generality, that the majority of GMs of any kind of system aren't like that. Um, the main reason they're not like that is because their friends wouldn't put up with it. And if their friends are putting up with uh, abuses of of the excuse me of the authority that we place in those that we position at in places of power, then we get it's up to you to get rid of them to change those dynamics. And if you can't get rid of them. That's an unhealthy relationship right there, right? And that pretty much describes uh, all of our politics to date, by the way. Um, you know, all across all parties. <laughs> um, part of the problem is the inability for individuals to say to stand up and say, I agree with you on this point, but I reject everything else. So yes, I cannot find common ground with you. Or I can find, even though I disagree with you, on nearly all points, I must find common ground in order to avoid some kind of catastrophe or a greater evil. Um, at the gaming table, again, we're dealing with human beings coming into some kind communicating and occasionally there will be conflict. There will always be conflict and you will not ever remove that uh, through, through uh, bureaucra bureaucracy. You can formulate the rules for war. <laughs> you can make, um, you can have legitimate wars, yeah, and you can have legitimate killings. But that does not really change the fact that we're still having conflicts. So 
ultimately, whether the rules or not, you need people to have the ability to stand aside and say, oh, I will not use conflict. I will stop fighting here. I will not die on this hill. Certainly not for you. Um, I will not have you as my leader. Right? Or I will not have you as my GM. <clears throat> we do not need books for a rule that says you can choose. We don't need to formulate a rule that says you can change the rules. You have a choice. That's not, once you put that into a rule, you no longer have a choice. You've set the foundations for a system of control of choice. Right? I might be totally exaggerating this and um, by, by drawing in political com comparisons, I may be making like a, a terrible, uh, a, a terrible uh, mistake of, of like, um, you know, mixing up two very dissimilar things. But I, I think there is a, there is a, there is something there. So, yeah, I, and I appreciate you, um, you know, taking Ireland's uh, corner on this, but you know, ultimately when we use words, it's also not down, just down to the listener or the reader, it's also down to the person using those words. And, you know, I, I stand by the, the point that I've originally made that um, healthy, and, uh, talking about health and harm, when talking about a game and the way people decide, freely uh, socialise, and uh, freely decide on how to play a game and saying that, well, they, they may be playing that game, but are they truly freely deciding to play like that? And to cast doubt uh, on, on people's groups, other people's groups who we cannot know, we cannot know on how they should play um, when we don't even know how they are playing. These are massive, massive mistakes. Uh, in my mind, um, the, the word healthy, the word harmful, the word healthy was used by a certain fragment of, um, let's say, the, 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 uh, there were, it wouldn't be just the Americans, but it would part of the American, uh, uh, a, a part of that population would have applied that onto the role playing game community. Uh, in the 1980s. Now a very opposite portion of the political sphere are now using the same language of morality uh, and calling for social controls. Um, again, on the, on the role-playing community. Um, and in both cases, there's this fear that something unhealthy is going on. Um, and the assumption that one's moral position and one's, um, one's uh, drive to protect the weak and helpless that you assume are there, and they must be there, and that belief that you are in the right and that others must be in the wrong and that you have the key to to fix it and to 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 tune p 
people's social relationships by codifying them, by putting everything into rules, is deeply, deeply flawed from my own uh, political and philosophical perspective. Um, I'm not asking anybody to agree with that, but um, that is a hill I will die on. <laughs> I, I will freely choose to die on that hill. Uh, not necessarily for games, but as a philosophy uh, extending into human life and the way we live. I Yes, and I think um, the reason why the word uh, harmful uh, and unhealthy created or evoked such a strong reaction amongst other players, of which I'm one, was because of that um, that the way it has been used by governments by uh, organizations to clamp down on on differences on on others people other people uh, and their freedom to associate and their freedom to express themselves now if somebody really is uh, causing harm and we can see that um, objectively then yeah you know bring out the big guns you know ban that person from a convention or at least you know um put some you know take out the yellow cards i agree we need safety tools surprisingly enough although the form of the, that those tools will take will depend from time to time and group to group and the x card is just the current form used by certain groups of people it's not the be all and end all of safety measures we've always had safety measures um, they are necessary because you know, um, you know, even people who've been around and played the games for many years um, sometimes come up against each other, you know, head on and have a conflict, and uh, it's just something that will happen. And when those things happen, um, you've got to be careful. And I guess when they do happen, in spite, despite everything, then you got people take some time out uh, and uh, establish. Um, some kind of rules or some admit that people should occasionally, you know, they, they have the right to sort of say, well, I've got to step away from the computer or the table, have a cup of tea, uh, you guys carry on or you guys have a break too and we'll talk about this again late, later, but I, I need a, a moment. Yeah, that need in a moment is is fine and I think we need to do that. I think, you know, there will be times when yeah, you will see dice flying across the table. I mean, I've not seen that. We've not had that in our group, but it, you know, it's possible. You know, you may see fists flying. These things, break, you know, groups will break up. So yeah, the communication. The better the communication, the more communication that you can have, the better. The more you listen to other people, um, the more you you care for the words that you use, the better. The more you you set up rules on what you can and cannot say, or styles of gaming that you may or may not use, that's a, that's a very different thing. And it's so personal, it's so general. It has to be individualized from case to case. That any kind of system of of regulations um, will never be satisfactory, uh, and it will only cause a further diversification division. Um, 
uh, and, and schism. And, and that's what I've got for you on that. <laughs> Anyhow, you, you wanted thoughts, so there you go. That probably doesn't relate to what you're talking about in your episode at all now, but <laughs> that, that, that's what I've got for you. You, you. you asked. You asked for it, so that's what I have. Take care, my friend. So it's very much, very much appreciated, uh, Jason. Yeah, sorry if I um, got a little bit hot under the collar in my response. It's not my intent um, to argue with anybody uh, not my intent to to say that you know Ireland is wrong. I'm sure he has all the best um, intentions, um, but I question. I question is the the means by which we um, by which we try to achieve the ends. If ever there is even an end, I think the means is everything, uh, and the certain means which. I don't think justify any ends. Um, um, I don't really think there is an end, to be honest. I mean, there's my end, and there's your end, and there's everybody else's end. But uh, human life goes on, the world goes on, uh, in some form or other, with us or without us. Um, but um, on a positive note, yeah, um, I think if we if we can do things to improve uh, and accept. Other, others by by accepting is that what I'm trying to say? Improve the situation by accepting the differences of others and by accepting variety and variation and by not seeking to codify the freedom, the space that is necessary for us as human beings to 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 learn and to grow and to change. Um, then. I'm all for that, yeah. And anyway, you know, I I really appreciate your comments. Um, thank you so much for listening, and I hope uh, other people, you know, listening to this, come away with something that's not too negative from me. Um, I know I can sound a bit negative sometimes, but hopefully, that's that's not the case here. So that's all I've got for you this time. Um, hopefully that was wasn't too long an episode. I know it was quite long. I know I went on a, uh, on and on. Um, hopefully I didn't get um, too hot under the collar. I've not upset anybody, ruffled any feathers. Um, uh, if you've got any more calls, please feel free uh, call in. Um, if it would help to talk live. And I'm also up for that. Uh, you can contact me on Twitter. I am at Old Shabby Gamer, as one word. Many on Rob. Uh, I'm also on uh, Yahoo Mail. Is it Yahoo? Yeah, it is. So Scott in Kyoto, that's one word. S O. Can't not. Not O. What am I saying? S C O T I N K Y O T O at yahoo.com uh, that's also me you can get me there you can get me on anchor on uh, my anchor account uh, if you go to the anchor account and look up me you'll see there's a a message tab you can drop in a message there um, also you can drop in a sound file send it to my email address um, no hate mail please i will burn it um um, yeah, what else? I think that's everything. But but I have one more thing. Uh, a message from 
I think this is the first time caller. It's Joe Richter of Hind Sightless. Uh, it is Hind Sightless, isn't it? So um, I'll leave you with his message. Until next time, uh, please take care. Um, don't take things too seriously. Give people space. Um, and I'm sure there is a light in everybody's heart, even the most heinous villains. Um, hopefully we don't have to fight each other to find that light. So take it away, Joe. Hey, Minion. I just wanted to let you know that your latest episode, All We Have to Do is Keep Talking, was absolutely enjoyable. What you were saying was super insightful, but even beyond that, it would have been an amazing episode. Just hearing you walk through the countryside of uh, Japan and just kind of describe what you're seeing as you were walking, it was like I was just sitting here working, listening to you, and I was like, this is absolutely lovely. So thanks, man. That was dope. Peace out.